Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. I'd ask that you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Uh, last week I was surprised, I turned on the TV and, and uh, sometimes up at the top uh, of the app that we use for, for television, I'll have suggested things for us to watch. And the very first thing on this, this list, I don't know why or how this happened, but was Matlock. Uh, now I used to watch, I used to watch a lot of Matlock with my, my grandfather, so I was like, oh man, I, I need to check this out. And so I turned it on, and it was close to the end of the episode, and uh, we, we were watching, and there's a struggle, and, and a lady ends up dead on the floor, and then it just stops, and the white words come up, to be continued. <laughs> right? And so the next episode comes up, and it just plunges into the episode. There's no recap or anything, and I'm so lost, wondering what in the world is going on. Are these two episodes even connected? So I'm not going to do that to you today. I feel like this week uh, is a bit of a to-be-continued from last week, so I want to give you a bit of a recap from where we were uh, and also just say Matlock is great TV. If uh, it's, uh, it's been probably 30 years since I'd seen an episode of Matlock, but uh, my goodness. Um, last week we began looking at these verses, the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2. Uh, These verses describe the last day of the creation week, the day in which God rested after he had completed and deemed good the rest of his created works. And we said last week that this day, the seventh day, was a unique day in all of the creation week. It was unlike all the other days because not only did God not perform any creative acts, not only did he rest, but also textually... This week, or this day, uh, is constructed differently by Moses from all these other days. There's one common refrain that repeats in all of the other days. In Genesis chapter 1, after every single day, the Bible tells us, and there was evening and there was morning, the blank day, the first, second, third, after every single day. There's this bookend, but here on the seventh day, there is no bookend. And so when God rests, it does not imply that the very next day he's going to resume his work, that he's going to create more things. Instead, it indicates, I think, that on the seventh day, God enters into a new kind of relationship with his creation. Instead of creating, instead of adding new elements, God would enjoy his creation. He would enter into a state of peaceful rest with that creation. Creator and creation in perfect harmony together. That's what the picture of the seventh day is for us in Genesis. However, as we will see as we continue to work our way through Genesis, that period of rest and enjoyment did not last. The creature that God had made in His own image rebelled against Him. And in doing so, man exchanged rest for labor and sweat. He exchanged peace for strife and pain. 
and became the enemy of God, as we have just heard sung. Enslaved to their natural inclinations and desires. Yet nonetheless, God still invites, as we saw last week, working our way through the Old Testament, God invites His rebellious people to experience and participate in Sabbath rest. These patterns that we see in the Old Testament last week in the Ten Commandments would provide a weekly reminder for God's people that they were supposed to trust in, rest in, and enjoy their special relationship with God. And these patterns were baked into the calendars of the people. Every seven days, every seven years, and once every cycle of seven years of seven. The year of Jubilee. Along with various feasts and festivals along the way, the people were to participate in Sabbath rest and peace with God. We also saw last week that this pattern was based on two realities. You go back and you read the Ten Commandments in particular in Exodus and then later when they're repeated in Deuteronomy. We see that first in Exodus that the Sabbath rest that the people were commanded to participate in was based on God's creation pattern. Moses said, because God rested on the seventh day, you too are supposed to rest. And second... The second reality was the freedom from slavery that God had provided for the people. We see that in Deuteronomy. God, Moses addressing the people, same man, same commandment, but he roots it not in creation, but in their freedom from slavery in Egypt. Now that you are free because of your freedom, you're to celebrate Sabbath rest. Now this week we're going to continue to trace this idea throughout Scripture. We're going to, to, to look at one other example in the Old Testament, then we're going to move forward and look at how the New Testament addresses this idea. Looking at how God's rest on the seventh day in Genesis 2 establishes our hope for a future rest. And so therefore, if you are able this morning, I would ask that you please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we read Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. says the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And once more, let's turn to the Lord in prayer today. God, I'm so grateful. So grateful for your creative work. So grateful for all that you did, all that you made in those six days. But Lord, for all that creativity, for all that beauty, for all that grandeur, I'm all the more grateful that you entered into a state of rest with your creation on the seventh day. Because in doing so, Lord, You have filled our hearts with hope that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Lord, how we long to enter into that rest. How so very tired we are, Lord, of striving in this world. Of the wickedness, of the sadness, of the grief 
and heartache all around us. Of the weightiness. Of the curse upon us. And so Lord I pray that today. That we would indeed continue striving to enter that rest. And that today if one hears your voice speaking to them, that they would not harden their hearts, but that they would indeed turn in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ and enter into the rest that He provides. Lord, give us understanding. Give me clarity. Lord, I know that these concepts, as we trace them throughout Scriptures, they are complex. But Lord, they are beautiful and majestic. And I, in my weakness, in my limitations, I know that right now I will fail to convey these in all the beauty and majesty that I would like to. So Lord, help me. Help me to show your people what is plain in your word. Keep me back from error. And Lord, may our hearts be turned all the more toward you through the understanding of your your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you are following along in your notes, the little blue sheet in your bulletins, you'll note that last week we left off, we had our to-be-continued, Matlock style, after point number two. And so today we're going to pick up in point number three, the shadow Sabbaths. Now, as you read that, and even as I say that, you may be scratching your head wondering... What on earth am I talking about? What are shadow Sabbaths? Well, this idea comes directly from Scripture. It comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. And this is a passage that I think is absolutely crucial to our interpreting and understanding what the Sabbath, what the days, what the years, what the festivals, what the feasts, what they are for. And so here we read in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These Sabbaths are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what Paul is telling us here very plainly in these verses is that all of the Jewish rituals they kept, the festivals, the new moons, the Sabbaths, all of those things were shadows that were pointing to a greater reality. And that greater reality is none other than Jesus Christ. The Sabbath rest that the people were supposed to participate in in the Old Testament, all that was tied up in that was supposed to point them forward to the substance that is in Christ Jesus and the rest that He provides. And so the requirement then to keep the Sabbath day was never meant to be an end to itself. In other words, you weren't just supposed to stop resting from work on the Sabbath in order to stop resting from work on the Sabbath. You were supposed to stop resting from work on the Sabbath in order to anticipate, in order to direct your heart toward the greater hope that was still to come. It was supposed to be a reminder that we aren't where we're supposed to be. That things in this world are not right. And the Sabbath rest was to allow people 
to meditate on those realities and to anticipate what God was going to do through Christ. It was to be a weekly reminder that this world is broken by sin, that we are tired and worn out and are struggling against sin, and that we need rest. We need a deep and lasting and abiding rest that only God Himself can provide. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be, but one day, one day, praise God, they will be. So that every Sabbath day that the people participated in was supposed to look forward to the coming redemption through the Messiah. Unfortunately, though, the people failed time and time again to keep these Sabbath days and festivals. And by failing to keep them, they slowly forgot the significance behind them. Despite God showing them the pattern of Sabbath, their creation, and giving them the rationale for the Sabbath in both Exodus and Deuteronomy, the people never did quite get it. And it started out right after they left Egypt. The the very first mention of the word Sabbath comes with really a, a comical result. We find the very first mention of the word Sabbath, not here in Genesis 2, but actually all the way over in Exodus chapter 16. That's where the word Sabbath first appears in the Scriptures. In Exodus 16, we find that the people have left Egypt, and they've no sooner got out of Egypt than they are complaining that they're going to starve to death. They're hungry. They want food. And so God says, all right, I'm going to give you food. But He gives them very specific instructions. He says, I'm going to give you manna, bread from heaven. But here's what I want you to do. Whenever the manna comes down, I want you to go out and I want you to go gather it in. But don't gather more than you need for today. And what do you think the people did? It's like they went to Sam's Club, right? We're going to get a a, a whole bulk amount of bread here because we're hungry today. We're going to be hungry again tomorrow, so we want to make sure that we have enough. God says, no, I'm going to provide you new bread tomorrow. So what happens? The extra bread that they gathered, the extra manna that they gathered in, rotted overnight. It was putrid, nasty, had worms, bugs, all kinds of things in it. You didn't want to eat it. So they had to toss that out and go get more the next day. God says, see, I told you. But then, what happens at the end of the week? God tells them on the sixth day, I want you to gather twice as much. Because there's not going to be any bread out there the next day. The next day is a Sabbath day. The next day is a day of rest. I don't want you gathering bread on the Sabbath. I want you to keep the Sabbath. I want you to rest and just enjoy the fact that I've provided this for you. But what do the people do? People say, oh no God, I know this trick. We gathered too much on the first day and it rotted. So we're not going to gather too much on day six. And what do the people find when they go out on day seven? There's no bread. And so the people, God is furious with the people because they didn't listen. They didn't exercise faith. They didn't follow His rules. And so this episode, this this whole idea of, of manna in the wilderness, that's the idea of the story that God uses to introduce Sabbath to the people. Now that they are free from slavery in Egypt, he's trying to show them things will be different. 
They're going to be free to participate in Sabbath rest. But their participation in the Sabbath, even in this very first introduction of the Sabbath to the people, shows that the Sabbath is about more than just rest. It's about more than simply refraining from your labor. Sabbath requires faith. Refraining from work requires faith. You must believe that God will keep His Word and provide for you. Whether it's on the seventh day or the seventh year, you can only enjoy Sabbath rest by faith. If I don't believe that God is going to keep His Word for me the next day, and that there will be bread out there, I may gather too much on day one. But then if I don't take God at His word that there will be no food on the seventh day, and I'm supposed to gather twice as much on the sixth day, then I may not gather enough. Or I'll go out and look for bread and there won't be any there. Either way, in this episode, whether a person gathers too much or too little, they're demonstrating a lack of faith. A lack of belief in God and His Word. Observing the Sabbath day, keeping it holy, requires faith. It can only be done by faith. You can't rest. You can't trust in God if you don't believe that He will stay true to His Word. And so now we can begin to piece together these threads that we see in the Old Testament. Number one, the Sabbath was rooted in the pattern that God Himself set for His people at creation. That's what we see here in Genesis 2. God resting on the seventh day, making it holy, blessing it. Saying, this is good, this is a good gift for my people. Number two, though, it could only be celebrated if the obstacles that was in the way were removed. In particular, the people had to be set free from slavery. You see, this is the problem that arose after Genesis 2. We were subjected to bondage, to sin. And so, in order to celebrate the Sabbath, in order to rest, we have to be set free. God had to physically free His people from bondage in Egypt so that they could celebrate the Sabbath. And third, the Sabbath requires faith in God. All of the Sabbaths in the Old Testament, whether it was the seventh day of the week, the seventh year, or the seventh cycle of seven years, or the festivals, or the months, or gathering manna in the wilderness. All of these things were showing the people the same pattern over and over again. God is inviting us into relationship with Him. It's peaceful, it's restful, it's worshipful. But we have to have faith. And we have to be freed from the things that prevent us from resting. When we get to the New Testament, we see how Jesus Himself begins to pull all these ideas together and show us what the Sabbath is supposed to be and show us how it ultimately points to Him. Which brings us then to our final point and where we'll spend the rest of our time, the true Sabbath. The true Sabbath. If all of these other things are shadows and the substance belongs to Christ, then how is Christ... The true Sabbath. Well, he begins to show us this at the very beginning of his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, we're told about the very first sermon that Jesus preached. He goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the 
tabernacle there on a Sabbath. We're told in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And look at this, verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, Today, the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's a short sermon. Y'all would probably be okay with that because we beat the Methodists to lunch. But nonetheless, Jesus here says the most profound thing that He could possibly ever say. He says all of these things that Isaiah had promised, they've happened. It's here. And in particular, the year of the Lord's favor. What was the year of the Lord's favor? It was the year of Jubilee. It was that seventh cycle of seven years in which all the debts were forgiven, all the slaves were freed, all the property went back to the original owners. Society was reset. And Jesus says, guess what, folks? That's here. That has come to you. The Sabbath year, the Sabbath rest that you've been longing for, it is here. It's been fulfilled in your hearing. He tells the people, I've come to do this, to bring about the Sabbath rest that you have been longing for. Jesus has brought it to the people. And in that passage, remarkably, they end up trying to take Him out and stone Him to death. If you read on in Luke chapter 4, they reject it, just as they had done all the many centuries leading up to that moment. The people never really rested in God. They never really trusted what He said. They never really believed His Word. And here when Jesus comes and He says that the year of Jubilee has come, I'm here, I've fulfilled it, all that you've been waiting for, that you've been hoping for and longing for is here, it's fulfilled today. They hardened their hearts. And they did not listen. Later Jesus confronts the Pharisees and He corrects their understanding of the Sabbath. This is recorded in multiple Gospels, but in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23, we read this. It says, One Sabbath He was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, His disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to Him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And He said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, and listen to these two statements, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man 
is Lord even of the Sabbath. These two statements here by Jesus are absolutely crucial. He's showing the Pharisees that your understanding of Sabbath rest is twisted. You've got it wrong. You think that man is supposed to serve the Sabbath, that we are supposed to stand on pins and needles, making sure that we don't transgress the smallest little Sabbath rule. He said, no, that's never what the Sabbath was intended to be. The Sabbath was for man. It was supposed to be a good gift from God so that you could enjoy Him. Not so that you could sweat over whether or not you've picked a head of grain from the field. It was a good gift from God that men had perverted with their rules which missed the entire point. God had intended it to be a day of rest and worship, celebrating their relationship with Him and looking forward to the ultimate restoration of Eden. Getting back to Genesis 2. That's what the Sabbath was supposed to do. But they had twisted it and perverted it into a day of rules and pressure to perform and legalism. The Jews had flipped the Sabbath on its head. And here Jesus reminds them what it was for. And not only does He remind them what it was for, but He asserts His own authority as Lord of the Sabbath. And so just as in Luke 4, He says that He had come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, here He says He's come to proclaim His authority over the Sabbath. As Lord of the Sabbath. And as Lord of the Sabbath, that means that He is the one, the sole one, that is responsible for providing what? Rest. As Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is the Lord of rest. He even invites us. He he goes on and, and in the Gospels, after this encounter with the Pharisees, the very next thing He does is He goes and He heals a man on the Sabbath. It's as if He's intentionally thumbing His nose at their rules to say, You have got it all backwards. Sabbath is supposed to be a time of healing and restoration and celebration and joy. And you've made it a time of darkness, restrictions. People can't enjoy the Sabbath. You've taken them and you've stripped them of their freedom and made them slaves again to a set of rules and regulations. Jesus invites us Come to me all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you what? Rest. He's the only one with the authority to say that as Lord of the Sabbath. So rest then doesn't come from simply stopping our work week. Rest doesn't come from simply taking a nap. True rest, abiding rest, only comes from Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, the source of our rest. This is why Paul says in Colossians that the Sabbath days and festivals were only shadows. They could never provide the rest that the people needed. They were never meant to be an end in themselves, but a signpost pointing the way to a greater reality. To Jesus Christ who is the substance. To to the only one who can provide true and lasting rest. This is why... And I understand that some people may disagree with me on this. That's okay. Romans 14, Paul says, we can disagree on this. And if you want to observe the Sabbath, you are free to do that. 
But I believe that as New Testament Christians, we are not under any obligation to keep the Sabbath day. First off, what even is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath day? It's the seventh day, right? It's Saturday. We aren't gathered here at church on the Sabbath day. That was yesterday. You missed it. That's why some denominations insist on gathering on Saturday. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible tell us that the first day of the week, which is Sunday, supplant the Sabbath. There's no scriptural warrant for that. Instead, what we find is that Christians began meeting and worshiping on the first day of the week because that was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because Jesus Himself was resting on the Sabbath in the tomb. So you aren't sinning if you vacuum your house this afternoon. If you eat out at a restaurant, you're not sinning because you're making somebody else work. The Bible does command us to not neglect the meeting together of the saints. And so you should try, I think, to maintain a work schedule that allows for that. And having a healthy pattern of work and rest is a good idea. It was God's idea. But the idea of having a Sabbath day that we are required by law to observe is a shadow that has now given way to the substance because the reality has come. Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath, has come. Nowhere, I think, is this more apparent than in the book of Hebrews. I want you to turn there with me. This is a a longer passage, but, but this is a treatise on the Sabbath that we have here in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. I'm just gonna I'm gonna read all of this because this is so good. On the Sabbath, here the author says in chapter three, verse seven, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith to those who listened. Again, by faith. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For God has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Here we have a long explanation where the author of Hebrews basically goes back and he walks through all the things that we've already talked about. He points to creation and how God rested. And he points to the promised land, which itself was a sort of a shadow Sabbath. The promised land was supposed to be a place of rest. A place where the people would go and be free from their enemies. Where they would be free to enjoy their special relationship with God. But it says they failed to enter it. It says that Joshua failed to give the people rest. He says there's still a greater rest that we are awaiting. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That doesn't mean that there remains this commandment to keep this day every single week. It means that we are looking forward still to the rest that is to come in heaven when Christ returns and brings His people home. That's the rest that we are looking forward to. And He says that we enter that rest through belief. The people that failed to enter that rest, who failed to enter the promised land, itself a shadow Sabbath, failed to enter it because of unbelief. And then in verse 3 of chapter 4 it says, For we who have believed enter that rest. It is through faith that we enter the rest that God has for His people. Moses could not give the people rest by means of the law. That's how the author of Hebrews begins chapter 3. Had to cut out something, otherwise we'd end up reading the entire book of Hebrews. Had to begin and end somewhere, but but the author tells us Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses couldn't give the people the rest that they needed. The law couldn't give the people the rest that they needed. Just being a good person, obeying all the rules, that's not going to get you rest. Joshua couldn't give the people the rest that they needed. He cites Joshua here. If Joshua had given them rest, there wouldn't still remain a rest for the people of God. Conquest. Political victories will not give us the rest that we long for. The rest that we are called to participate in occurs only through belief. The author of Hebrews here is quoting the Psalms, which itself points back to Exodus and also all the way back to creation. 
And it says all along the way, the reason the people failed to enter the rest of God was because they had an unbelieving heart. All the way back to the very beginning. And so what stands between you today and the eternal, peaceful rest and the presence of God that He is promising us, the type of rest that He entered into in the seventh day of creation, the only thing standing between us and that is our own unbelieving hard hearts. So the Sabbath is not a question of whether or not you do work on Sunday. The Sabbath is a question about whether or not you have trusted in Jesus Christ. Whether or not you have stopped trying to earn your way into heaven and are trusting in His completed work. In fact, for some, just like in Jesus' day, the Sabbath rules may be in part what prevent you from entering into that rest. Because you think that by keeping the rules, by just checking all the boxes, by being a good Christian boy or girl, man or woman, that God will look at all your hard work and He'll say, okay, yeah, that was enough. If that's what you're hoping in, you will never enter His rest. Because your work will never be enough. The only work that was enough was the work of Jesus Christ when on the cross... He bore the wrath of God for our sins and declared, it is finished. The work is over. If we put our trust in that, we will enter His rest. The author says those who believe enter that rest. And so then, today, if you hear His voice, as the author of Hebrews says, do not harden your heart. Y'all, life is exhausting. It's tiring every time you open the newspaper or turn on the news or open Twitter or Facebook or TikTok or whatever it might be. It's exhausting. I was talking with someone just before the service about the tragic events just in Nicholasville this week. Four-month-old baby killed in tragic fashion. Folks, some of us are getting very tired. For some of you, there's a weight of grief on your heart, a burden. That you don't know how long you can carry it. Some of you are are tired of being sick. Of your body not functioning the way that it should. Some of you are, are tired of the wickedness and violence that you see around you in the world. Some of you may be tired of the gender and sexual confusion that you see publicized in the world, or perhaps you're tired of it in your own heart because you're experiencing it and you don't know what to do about it. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop Struggling under your own weight. Stop trying to do it on your own. You cannot. You will not. It's not your burden to carry. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of rest. This is what He has come to do. He has come to take our burdens away from Him so that we can experience that rest. That was His mission. He has come to give all of us Sabbath 
rest. And so if God is revealing today to you, right now, that you are not trusting in Him, that you have not rested in Him, that you're trusting in yourself, perhaps you're trusting in your family's good name, that Daddy was a deacon and you know, Mama taught Sunday school and sang in the choir, and so I'm good enough. I'm going to ride into heaven on their coattails. If you're trusting in the fact that you're a pretty good person who does pretty good things, you're a lot better than most. If you're trusting in any of those things, you are not resting in Jesus Christ. You are depending on your own works. Rest in the one that has completed his work on the cross, risen from the dead, and now sets at the right hand of the Father. If God is drawing you today, then as the author of Hebrews says, for heaven's sakes, do not harden your hearts. Because if you do, you will not enter into His rest. Sometimes resting is the hardest thing to do. It's a simple enough idea. But it's harder to actually accomplish. Some of you know this. Some of you may have went to bed last night fully intending to rest. And you lay down and your head hits the pillow and your brain turns on. And you start rehashing all the things that you said that you aren't proud of. All the complications in your family that you're sure to experience this week around the Thanksgiving dinner table. All the things you saw on the news that trouble your heart. And you just lie there. You can't rest. Jesus invites us to lay it all down at His feet. I love this illustration. You've seen me do it before, but resting in many ways is just like sitting down in a chair. Trusting the Lord is like sitting down in a chair. You can recognize all the material aspects of this chair. You can recognize its hardness, its sturdiness. You can see that it is level, that it has four legs, that it is supposed to support your weight. But so many of us so often see all those things and we acknowledge all those things. Many of you have probably agreed with most everything I've said and you've said, yeah, I get it. I know what I'm supposed to do. And then we'll leave here and keep just struggling, trying to do it on our own, refusing to rest in Christ. And He invites us to come and experience His rest, to put our weight in Him. Until we rest in Him, we are not believing in Him. We must believe. We must trust. We must submit our entire lives to Him, putting our weight, putting our burdens on Him. That's how we experience the rest that He has promised us. Today, if you would like to experience that for the first time, if you are tired of struggling, then I invite you to come in just a moment. And talk to me and I will be more than happy to tell you through his word how you too can have the hope of Sabbath rest. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your word and for the rest that it promises. For the hope that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Our true Sabbath. Lord, sometimes we can get so distracted by the things of this world, by our own efforts, by our own Seemingly good enough works. We think that we've got it figured out. Lord, I pray that we just laid at your feet today. 
that we would rest in you, that we would rest in what you have provided, because the reality is we don't have it figured out. We will always struggle and we will always fail just like your people over and over and over again until we rest in you. Lord, my sincere prayer is that every person in this room would not leave here today until they are resting in Christ and in his completed work. It is finished. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.